everyone. Welcome to MD Talk. I'm LaQuinta Jernigan, your host for today's episode. On this episode of MD Talk, I'm delighted to be joined by Sheila McHale, Executive Director of Columbus Children's Foundation and co-founder and advisor at Ask Bio. She has kindly agreed to share with us her breast cancer diagnosis story. Sheila is a lawyer, business leader, and philanthropist. She received her Doctor of Law in Business Commerce from Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law in 1997. She has been featured in the Medicine Maker 2023 Power List and among many other accolades, was selected as EY Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young in November 2021. Sheila received a breast cancer diagnosis and after a difficult journey to get diagnosis and experiencing health inequality, Sheila made the decision to focus her efforts on philanthropy and advocacy by founding BC Ruckus. BC Ruckus seeks to increase awareness of breast cancer screening and diagnosis, as well as to campaign for equal access to potentially life-saving screenings that are not currently available to many in the U.S. In this episode, we will discuss Sheila's breast cancer journey. We'll talk a bit about what dense breasts are and how they affect breast cancer diagnosis. And we'll learn how we can all raise awareness for breast cancer and advocate for change. Sheila, welcome to MD Talk. Thank you, Lakinta, and thank you so much for this opportunity to share information that I have learned over the past year. Uh, this is life-saving information, and I wish somebody had educated me. There are five parts to my talk today. First, I want to tell my story. Second, I'm going to tell you a little bit about breast cancer facts. Third, um, I want to educate everybody on what are dense breasts. Fourth, I want to tell you about the challenges associated with finding cancer early in dense breasts. And then finally, I want to talk about how we together can change the future for better outcomes for women with breast cancer in dense breasts. So first, my story. And every time I go through this, I have to say it is incredibly gut-wrenching. And the reason why I share my story is I really want to educate women so they can better advocate for themselves. Again, I wish somebody had told me this information. I wish my doctors would have been better educated and could have given me better advice. I wish the radiologists who repeatedly read my mammograms would have raised their hand and said, hey, we just can't see. You need to do something different. Instead, nobody did that for me. And, you know, I really, um, my whole life has been devoted to developing drugs to basically help uh, human health and to uh, make this world a better place. And so that's why I am doing uh, this for every other woman. So breast cancer was not the first thing that came into my mind last November when I noticed a small dimple on my left breast. I had had a clean mammogram report at Duke, and that's a very reputable place, using 3D tomosynthesis. And I wanted to underline that because there's a lot of misunderstanding about 3D tomosynthesis. It's also known as DBT. I had had that clean report earlier in the year. I had no family history of breast cancer, and I want to reemphasize that because time and time again, when I went into my doctors for examinations, they always emphasized, well, you have no family history, so you don't need to be so worried. I had no family history of breast cancer. My breasts felt lumpy, and I mentioned this to my doctors repeatedly, but they always dismissed my concerns as they're just fibrotic and that's normal. 
I did self-exams every month and I never found anything unusual. But then again, my, you know, breast felt like bags of marble, but nothing really stuck out as, hey, this could be cancer. I later learned that my breast cancer type, invasive lobular carcinoma, does not create a lump. And that's something that is a real challenge in trying to self-diagnose your cancer. There's no lump to find. I could dig around in my breast all day long and I would never find it. I really relied on imaging. I was at the top of my career. I felt great. Everybody asked, did you feel anything? Did you have back pain? No, I had no aches or pains. I did have a pain on my lower right abdominal side. And it had bothered me for years. And I went in repeatedly. Uh, my doctor is talking about that. They had imaged it repeatedly, but it was never diagnosed as anything significant. As I had just had my 56th birthday and I gained a few pounds, but again, I was not overweight by any means. I was, uh, you know, a little below average. Um, but I had gained a few pounds and I had transitioned into deeper menopause territory. Uh, my first thought was, you know, I had cellulite. Everything didn't look the same as it did 20 years earlier. So I thought, well, maybe that's the cellulite on my left breast. But at the urging of my family, I requested a diagnostic mammogram. As part of the workup, a diagnostic mammogram was performed on both breasts. The mammogram showed a sizable tumor on the left side. That's where I had saw the dimple. There was also concern about a large lymph node. After 10 days, and this was the most excruciating thing, I waited 10 days to get back via the results. And at the end of that, it was confirmed that I had breast cancer on the left-hand side. I went in and I met with the oncologist and I asked, you know, hey, how do you know I don't have breast cancer on the right-hand side? After all, I had had this 3D mammogram earlier in the year and it didn't catch the breast cancer on the left-hand side. So how do you know the right-hand side is clean? And I you know, asked that question because the size tumor they found on the left-hand side was you know, over two centimeters. And um, the characteristic of that tumor was that it was slow growing. So it had to have been there. Um, that's what I figured out uh, when I had the 3D mammogram early in the year. And I asked, hey, can we do something more, some additional imaging? I didn't know what to ask for. Uh, I said, CT, because that's what I had had on my right-hand side. MRI, I don't know what to ask for. But the oncologist, instead of being helpful, threw up barriers, arguing first that additional imaging was not the standard of care. And I kept insisting. And then I got insurance would not pay. I still insisted. Um, and, you know, I started saying self-pay, self-pay. She grew frustrated by my insistence, commenting that I was making a ruckus. And that's why I now have this organization called BC Ruckus. After I repeatedly kept saying, hey, I will self-pay for this, she finally ordered a CT and breast MRI test. Uh, about a week later, the breast MRI confirmed the tumor on the left-hand side. Again, that had been caught by me. That's where the dimple was and had been seen on the diagnostic mammogram. Um, but the breast MRI also confirmed a second sizable tumor uh, on the right-hand side. And in fact, there was almost uh, that tumor, which in itself was about three centimeters, extended to an additional uh, 
you know, about six centimeters of malignancy. There was about six centimeters of total malignancy on the right-hand side. Now, that tumor had not been detected by either 3D tomosynthesis mammograms or the diagnostic mammogram. And that's quite frightening, right? That's almost 10 centimeters of total malignancy on the left and right-hand side that were not identified by these tomosynthesis or diagnostic mammograms. And again, you know, I went uh, for almost 20 years to get these 3D mammograms, and I got no benefit. Uh, the oncologist agreed that my tumors were slow-growing in nature and had been growing for possibly a decade prior to their discovery. So I never had any issues when I had uh, my mammograms except for once. Uh, I went back through my records because I really couldn't remember, but I knew at some point, in, in, in actuality, in 2013, I had been called back for additional imaging when my mammogram showed something suspicious in both breasts. I had a diagnostic mammogram then, but no biopsy, and the incidents were just dismissed as benign. Um, I have been told that I have heterogeneously dense breasts. I had asked my uh, primary care physician and my uh, gynecologist if I needed additional testing. And again, these are doctors at, you know, uh, pretty significant medical centers, Duke uh, and uh, UNC, University of North Carolina uh, at Chapel Hill. And both always came back saying, hey, since I had no family history, uh, 3D tomosynthesis was meant for dense breasts like mine. Um, I also went in annually for a physical exam with my primary care physician and my gynecologist where my breasts were physically examined. Now, of course, I didn't go during the height of COVID, but generally I was pretty good about going in for annual exams. Uh, and I also conducted self-examinations monthly, but they weren't really helpful due to the fibrotic nature of my breasts. Given the large size of my tumors and the fact that I had bilateral breast cancer, I was initially told that I would have no option but to have a double mastectomy. And for those of you who don't know, a double mastectomy is a surgery in which both breasts are removed. It is a very radical uh, and very extensive surgery. It takes about nine months uh, to recover. And actually, the surgery, if you get reconstruction, can consist of multiple surgeries, two to three uh, surgeries or more. So this is not a uh, simple procedure. Um, but instead of listening, I did my own research. And I think this is really important. Once, it, once you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you really have to make a lot of decisions and you're not really well prepared. But the doctors always ask you, what, what do you want? Or sometimes they tell you something uh, like me, a double mastectomy, and you really need to step back and uh, ask for second and third opinions. Um, instead of listening to the recommendation that I have a double mastectomy, I did my own research and learned that survival outcomes were only a few percentage points better with a double mastectomy versus a double lumpectomy. And a lumpectomy just removes the tumors while conserving the breast. And that was shocking to me because I think most women who are diagnosed with breast cancer, their first instinct is just cut them off. Right. Just get rid of them. Yeah, exactly. I I <laughs> but I would I would really warn you, stop and look at the facts. The facts are uh, not what you would think. Uh, it really a double lung back to me, like in my situation where I had such extensive cancer, 
Um, and I talked with more doctors and they assured me that there really was no difference uh, or a very small uh, difference in terms of survival. Um, and two, sometimes people are told, well, if you get uh, the double mastectomy, then you won't need radiation. And that's not true. In my situation, even if I had a double mastectomy, um, I was still going to need uh, radiation. So that's why I opted for a double lumpectomy. Again, you know, the gut instinct is just get rid of the cancer and people want to go to the extreme because it's almost like, well, if I do the most extreme thing, then I'm more assured uh, right. that this cancer won't come back. And I'm really, really telling you, uh, take a breath. It's scary, but look at the facts. And in my case, because I had such extensive cancer, people just weren't sure that it was going to be feasible to even do it. And I was very fortunate that I was introduced to a very talented surgeon. And I had gone to several different centers, and they just said, it's too extensive. We just don't think we can uh, take out the cancer on the right-hand side. Uh, and you would, you know, you would lose your breast on the right-hand side. Um, but there was a, a surgeon, uh, Crystalline Gallagher at UNC. And when I first met with her, she said, I don't know if I can do it. It's, uh, it's going to be very difficult. And I appreciated that honesty. But she said she was willing to investigate whether she could do it. And she said, it's going to take some work. And the one thing I liked about Do Dr. Gallagher is she was very young and a confident woman. And she was very kind. And I know that's going to sound really odd, but a lot of the doctors that I met while I was going through this process, I would say were almost abusive. Um, and it's really strange to me because you're in such shock that, and especially in my case, um, I was shocked by the diagnosis and the extent of the cancer. Um, and, um, you know, I had people tell me, well, you have to have a double mastectomy and you need to go to a therapist so you can understand this. Um, and I said, no, I just need to find a doctor, right, <laughs> who's more capable that can get right. So it was very, it was, an, you know, you have to be a really strong personality. I'm a pretty strong person. Um, you know, I've started companies, raised uh, $235 million, which is not easy being, uh, you know, a Latina. Uh, it, I took a lot of rejections and got beaten up a lot. It took 15 years to raise my first round of funding. And then I have exited three companies where I've negotiated and you know, I built my companies to 850 people, my last one. I've gone, I'm a pretty tough person, a pretty confident person. But this, I think, really uh, challenged uh, even somebody like me. Um, it was tough. But Dr. Gallagher, again, uh, I really appreciate her because when she spoke to you, she was honest. She uh, looked you straight in the eye and it was like nobody else was in the room. She spoke clearly. Um, and I walked away at our first meeting, our very first meeting, with the sense that she was meticulous and prideful in her work. Um, and again, she was just different from a lot of people that I had met. Uh, I thought she was going to give it her all. Uh, a lot of times I felt like I was just a piece of meat being processed. Uh, people didn't want to waste the time to do anything out of the ordinary because they had a huge line of people that they had to do surgeries for. And she was the only one that really stuck out and said, hey, I'm going to give it a try. This is what you want to do. I understand, right, that it would be a better outcome for you, and I'm going to try. And she was honest, too. She said, hey, if I can't get clean margins, we're going to have to have a second surgery, and then you would undergo a double mastectomy. So this, you could do all this work, and at the end of it, um, you know, won't, it won't work out. 
And again, to figure out the borders of the tumors, part of the work was I had to undergo over 30 MRI guided biopsies, incredibly painful procedure. Um, but uh, when that came back, she said, yeah, I think, I think we can do it. So due to the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays and schedules are really overloaded, I think the medical system right now is incredibly overloaded. There's a lot of personnel shortages. And also due to the complexity of my case, I had to wait almost two months after the identification of my first tumor to finally have surgery to remove the two tumors. And the amount of stress that I endured during that time, I can't even fully communicate it. Um, dear to the Due to the fear that I might come down with COVID, uh, and that again would cause my surgery to be delayed, I spent much of the Christmas holiday in isolation. I waited alone, not knowing whether my cancer had metastasized, and I often contemplated the immediacy of death. Uh, it was the first time, I have to admit, that I opened my Bible and I read the Gospels word by word. Um, and I really wanted to understand the passages versus skimming them from time to time. I mean, this was a real, you know, come to Jesus moment. I hate to use that uh, cachet, but this was, this was it for me. Um, so, you know, it's really hard to imagine. But when the day of my surgery came, I was so excited, um, you know, <laughs> right? I was so, I was ecstatic. Uh, I had been living with these two massive tumors, which, you know, with each passing moment, I felt like they were threatening my life. They could metastasize to distant organs, harm my quality of life, and shorten my lifespan. And, you know, I was going in to find out, had that already occurred, you know, what was, what was my future going to look like? So this day was so seminal in my life. And it's funny because when I was sitting for those two months, I really got the sense that while this was a big, urgent need for me, I had cancer, right? 10 centimeters of malignancy in both breasts. The medical community seemed disinterested in exercising any immediacy in addressing my life-threatening emergency. You know, it became clear that um, a lot of the doctors I met with had been really hardened, I think, from seeing so much cancer and death. To them, I was just another another case. Uh, for me, I was the only case in my life, but to them, I was one of many that they were treating. Uh, and, you know, I think all of us in that long waiting line put unrealistic expectations on each of the doctors' ability to deliver miracles. It was clear that they were overworked and, um, you know, many of them were tired. I waited two weeks to find out whether the surgery had been successful and whether the cancer had metastasized the lymph nodes. And I think this is really key. You wait an awful long time to determine whether or not, you know, you, uh, you have success. I have a strong tolerance to pain. Um, so the day after the surgery, I sort of said, okay, put this behind you. Let's start moving on. And I continued my practice of daily walking. Um, Sleeping was difficult when I recovered because uh, I had bilateral surgery. I had to lie on my back with my arms elevated to minimize the swelling from the removal of lymph nodes. I had no uh, feeling on my left arm, and months later, that has not returned. And I prayed wow. incessantly. Yeah, it, it, and that's typical. I prayed incessantly for one thing, no metastasis to the lymph nodes. Um, the pathology came back. And again, it was about two weeks. Uh, and it came back. 
late the night before I was supposed to meet with Dr. Gallagher to review um, the results. And I opened it with great trepidation. Uh, there was a lot of medical jargon, but I could discern that there were isolated tumor cells in one lymph node on each side, but otherwise clean. I didn't know what that meant, and I was disheartened that my prayers had not been answered. But just as I started to weep with despair, a newly introduced acquaintance emailed me a picture of a bald-head eagle that had been sitting in my yard. And she wrote that um, God sent me the eagle to remind me of his power and that he's always there for me. She had immediately comforted me at a time when I needed it most. During the meeting with Dr. Gallagher, she confirmed, and I, I don't even know how this is possible, that she got clean margins and the surgery was a success and that the lymph nodes did not show metastasis. The isolated, it really is, tumor <laughs> cells were a byproduct of the surgery. As such, my cancer was locally contained in the breast. And she also said, because I have hormone receptor positive status, my outlook was very good. You know, I cried upon the receipt of the news, but a lingering sense of doubt returned later. I trusted my doctors for what they told me previously, and they were wrong. So how do I know that they're right this time? I mean, that's that's something I think that, uh, you know, once you go through a situation like this, you really question everything that doctors are saying. But because I had such a good outcome, this is why I decided I really had to you know, spend, I mean, there's a reason I think for everything. And I have to spend time educating other women so they do not end up in this situation. Um, I didn't have chemotherapy. Uh, and I was very happy for that because the chemotherapy seemed worse than the cancer itself. The type of breast cancer I have invasive lobular uh, carcinoma does not, it just doesn't respond well to it. So it would have been a lot of harm with little benefit. Um, I started radiation. Um, I had over 66 radiation treatments. And often when I lay topless on the radiation bed, I had dire thoughts about the harms of the treatment to which I was voluntarily submitting. Over the next few months, I suffered from blisters and sores that covered my chest, went through my armpits, and extended to my back. Um, midway through treatment, I resigned to the CEO. As the CEO of the company I had co-founded, I was just too tired to work. So cancer really, you know, took my career from me. And it does that to a lot of people, right? If you catch cancer early, it's so easy to treat it. Um, if you catch it later, uh, it just becomes more difficult. And again, you know, I really want to say um, that I had these mammograms, right, over a 20-year uh, period. Um, and I didn't understand why they didn't work. So I went back to Duke and I asked them, right, why, why didn't it pick up my cancer, especially such extensive cancer? And I talked with one of the head radiologists at Duke, and she told me that uh, mammograms, including 3D, miss many cancers in dense breasts. She also said that radiologists are forewarning patients. You know, we get letters in my state. I'm in a no uh, breast density notification state. Uh, and next year, every uh, state has to tell, women in every state have to be told their breast density. I was told that I had uh, heterogeneously dense breasts and I needed to talk to my doctors. Um, and so 
I had done that, right? But my doctors, I don't think, were well educated on the issue. Um, and even in my mammogram, uh, it said that there was no suspicious masses identified or anything else, right? No suspicious calcifications, et cetera. She, she also told me there was a warning that says that due to my heterogeneously dense breast, small masses may be obscured. I often think back on that, and I don't know, I don't think in, any, um, in anybody's expectations that 10 centimeters would qualify as small. But essentially, no. no, but essentially I was the victim, but I was being told that uh, the misdiagnosis was my fault. And I think that's something that really sticks with me. It, It really seemed like throughout the whole experience, you know, it was clear that to find my breast cancer, I had to determine what was the right imaging for my breast type. I had to be educated. And then once I had breast cancer, I had to figure out the right treatment regimen. Did I have, was I going to have a double mastectomy or double lumpectomy? Um, You know, again, that was really very strange to me. And so that's why I want to educate women on the risk associated with dense breasts and the need for supplemental screening. Because once women understand the rules, then they can educate themselves and be successful in advocating for the best health outcome. So on part two, I'm going to just sort of highlight a few breast cancer facts. First, there's a one in eight chance that a woman will develop breast cancer. And that rate of uh, cancer is increasing. We don't know why, but it is. And this year, over 240,000 U.S. women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. And don't assume that you won't be one of them. Again, my doctors always talked about family history as an indicator of whether or not I would get breast cancer. That's not the single biggest risk factor for breast cancer. The single biggest risk is being a woman. And breast cancer, if caught early, is 100% survivable. In fact, there are 3.8 million breast cancer survivors in the U.S., but if it's caught late, there's only a 25% chance that a woman will be here in five years. According to the American Cancer Society, over 43,700 women will die of breast cancer this year. And women do go for their mammograms. Over 80% of us rely on mammograms to find their cancer. And, uh, you know, the importance of mammograms was recently confirmed when the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force lowered the age to start screening. Current guidelines recommend that a woman get screened every other year starting at age 40. While mammograms work for many women, according to the National Cancer Institute, they will miss 20 percent, 20 percent of existing cancers. That means that there will be about 300,000 women like me that will be told based on their mammograms that they do not have cancer when in actuality they do. That false assurance will delay treatment and possibly result in a worse outcome. I relied on my mammograms. I kept saying, hey, I don't have cancer. And I maybe would have been more attuned to things uh, that were occurring and would have been more adamant about uh, getting additional screening earlier if I knew that the 
defect rate was 20%. And it's higher, actually, in dense breasts. And we'll talk about that in a minute. It's over 50% in dense breasts. And people like me are always told, well, 3D tomosynthesis, they are uh, more likely to find cancer in women with dense breasts. Um, and that's not really true. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, 3D tomosynthesis is only marginally better. And in fact, that has become the standard. Uh, I think over 80% is what I was told of sites use 3D tomosynthesis, and yet a lot of cancers are still being missed. And that's problematic because women with dense breasts are at higher risk, higher risk of developing breast cancer. So what are dense breasts? Breasts contain, this is part three, breasts contain both dense tissue and fatty tissue. Dense tissue consists of glands and connective tissue. And you know whether or not you have dense breasts because when you get a mammogram, this is the value of the mammogram, it tells you whether or not you have dense breasts and it gives you a rating. A is almost entirely fatty, B is scattered areas of uh, fibroglandular density. C is heterogeneously dense. And D is extremely dense. Um, it is really important that you get a mammogram to determine your breast density. And it may change over time. So this is why you have to continuously get mammograms to update your uh, density. With aging, women's breasts become less dense. Uh, and again, starting in September, the FDA has said that mammogram centers must report a patient's breast density as either dense or non-dense. And it's important to know that 50% of us have, up to 50% have dense breasts, and we tend to be younger and minority, Asian, Latina, and Black. Part four, why are dense breasts problematic? Um, there's two reasons. One, uh, radiologists have difficulty seeing tumors in dense breasts, and two, dense breasts are a significant risk factor for breast cancer. First, radiologists can't see. According to NCI, National Cancer Institute, in part because tumors are not readily detectable by mammography, the mortality reduction through screening is significantly lower in women with dense breasts. So that means that mammograms just don't work as well in decreasing death in women with dense breasts. Um, you know, when I uh, mentioned that mammograms miss over 50% of tumors in dense breasts, really to put that in context, that means that you're betting your life on a coin toss if you have dense breasts and rely on mammograms alone. So why does this happen? It happens because dense breast tissue shows up as white on a mammogram and cancer also shows up as white. It's like looking for a snowball in a snowstorm. The denser your breast, the less likely a radiologist can see if you have cancer. If you have category C, heterogeneously dense breast, that means that the radiologist can see less than 50% of your breast tissue. If you have category D, extremely dense uh, breasts, that means they can't see 100% of your breast tissue. And according to Dr. Robert Smith at the American Cancer Society, a mammogram provides little to no benefit. Um, based on my experience, though, the mammogram will not tell you whether or not the radiologist 
can see well enough to rule out cancer. This is important to understand. If you have dense breasts and you're given a BIRAD1 score stating that there's no sign of malignancy and recommending that you come back next year for another mammogram, that's what I had, that does not mean that you do not have breast cancer. Do not assume that if the radiologist could not see your breast tissue completely, he will or she will recommend additional testing or give you some sort of warning. If you have dense breasts, you cannot be certain that your clean mammogram report means that you do not have cancer. All it means is that in the area the radiologist could see, he did not detect cancer. You may still have cancer. To rule out cancer, you need supplemental screening, and that's really important. Um, second, uh, why dense breasts are problematic. They in themselves are a significant risk factor. Women with dense breasts are more likely to develop cancer. If you have heterogeneously dense breasts, you have a marginal increased risk. But as density increases, the risk of breast cancer doubles to average density. The increase in risk is similar at the most extreme if you have very dense breasts to the risk associated with family history of breast cancer in a mother, sister, or daughter. Also, the New England Journal of Medicine reported that 71% of breast cancers are found in women with dense breasts. So if you have dense breasts, you are unnoticed. You need something more. So how do you detect your breast cancer in dense breasts? Well, you need a two-step screening process. First, a mammogram, preferably 3D tomosynthesis, and second, supplemental screening with either ultrasound or breast MRI. As newer technologies like contrast enhanced mammography become more widely available, there may be other options. 3D tomosynthesis only catches an additional 1.2 tumors per thousand women with dense breasts. It did not work for me, but other technologies like ultrasound and breast MRI, the MRI did work for me, are better than tomosynthesis and catching cancer. The American College of Radiology did a big trial, the 666 trial, where it showed that ultrasound detected 4.3 more cancers per thousand women and breast MRI found an additional 4.7 cancers per thousand women. And this, again, is compared to 2D mammography. So, uh, you know, there are other options uh, available, and it's important that if you have dense breasts, that you, you pursue these. One of the issues why women um, do not get, the, you know, access to these additional technologies is because insurance uh, typically won't cover such screening. And doctors typically defer to the guidelines set by uh, insurance companies uh, in determining what to offer patients. That's what happened in my case. My doctors were very clear that since insurance didn't pay, they didn't refer me for supplemental screening. Um, and insurance companies, I've spoken to them, and they say, hey, we defer to the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force guidelines. And today, they do not recommend additional screening for women who are perceived to be at average risk. Again, they don't see breast density alone as increasing your risk. They categorize you as average risk. And I've met with um, 
some of the folks who uh, impact uh, the guidelines, like the American College of Radiology, to say, why aren't we changing these guidelines? And they have said, well, we're still studying it. We're still studying to see if these additional technologies, you know, when you have lots of women, if they actually uh, make a difference, if there's a benefit. Until the guidelines are changed and insurance companies um, step up and cover supplemental screening, you have to be educated. Your doctors often aren't. My doctors weren't. You have to be educated about the risk of dense breasts and the supplemental screening, and you have to advocate to get access to these. And the costs are not so prohibitive. I mean, I, I really... It's just astounding. So insurance companies are willing to pay the 80 to $90 for 3D tomosynthesis. Um, but when it comes to uh, an ultrasound, it costs about $230 to $330. Uh, and an abbreviated breast MRI, which is adequate uh, to detect cancer, is about $400 to $450. If you can afford it, I would, I would really suggest making the investment. But now I want to come to the final part and the conclusion of my uh, talk. Uh, we represent over 50% of the population in the U.S. I don't think that women should be settling uh, for the fact that, uh, one, doctors are not educated about the dense breast issue, uh, and two, insurance won't cover a very um, essential and key component of uh, our health care. Um, I have been pushing... Uh, both in the state of North Carolina, where I live, and more broadly uh, at the federal level, uh, for legislation to pass to mandate insurance companies to cover supplemental screening for women with dense breasts. Uh, there has been an initiative um, before I got sick uh, by several people where today uh, there are 22 states plus D.C. that have passed laws uh, to cover supplemental screening for women with dense breasts. My state, North Carolina, is not among them. I introduced legislation in our state legislature. It got blocked uh, by insurance companies. Um, and as a result of this patch quilt uh, set of rules and, uh, and who, you know, what uh, states have expanded insurance coverage uh, for supplemental screening, there's now, I would say, uh, inequitable access for women with dense breasts to get access to appropriate health care. Uh, there's uniformity depending on, you know, if you're in a state like uh, Philadelphia or New York or Connecticut, you get great access to uh, screening for uh, detection and early detection of breast cancer. Uh, unfortunately, other states like mine uh, do not provide that. Now, I want to give you a context because, you know, we always say the U.S. healthcare system is so much better than anywhere else in the world. If I lived in Europe, uh, in one of the you know main five countries there, most developed, I would have had my breast cancer caught earlier. The European countries with socialized medicine provide women with dense breasts access to supplemental screening. Uh, even more aggravating in my state, if I decided not to work and was on um, Medicaid or uh, Medicare, my uh, dense breasts uh, would have gotten access to supplemental screening. Uh, it's only because I was in private insurance that I did not get that uh, necessary screening. Um, so that's very upsetting. Um, and so I really think that women have to step up and tell their legislatures, um, 
is particularly at the federal uh, level, since we have this law, Find It Early, which was introduced by Katie Cork, who had a similar situation where mammograms did not detect her cancer. I think we need to uh, step up and tell our congressional members that we want better breast cancer screening for women uh, with dense breasts. Uh, I have started a petition at bcruckus.org. You can go, and that's B-C-R-U-C-K-U-S dot org. Go and add your name to the list. Uh, we are pushing in the month of October, uh, really pushing hard to get as many names signed on as possible to tell our representatives in Congress that this is an important health care issue for women and we want uh, insurance coverage. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I appreciate your listening, and I hope I can help save the life of your loved ones. Again, spread the word. Uh, united, we can make change. And until that change is made, we have to look out for each other. Thank you so much, Sheila, for telling your story and for giving us some very valuable tools and resources to advocate for ourselves. Um, this is the second time I've ha heard your story. And I mean, each time I'm still left feeling the same way, which is really hard to describe in words. But, um, you know, a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions are felt after hearing your story. Um, I do think that, you know, like you said, we have to advocate for ourselves and that can be so difficult, um, especially for people who aren't as outspoken and aren't as knowledgeable on where to start. And so thank you for giving us a lot of information just to get us started and being more aware about dense breast tissue, being more educated on what options are out there. Um, if you don't mind, Sheila, just so that we can have it at the end of the story, can you remind us where we can find more information about your petition and about your organization one last time, just for viewers in case they missed it that last time? Sure. It's bcruckus.org, and that's B-C-R-U-C-K-U-S. Org. And I also want to mention that there's other um, information out there. We're working with My Density Matters. Uh, they've got a wealth of information uh, about uh, dense breasts. Uh, and so I would really highly recommend uh, that you look at their website uh, for additional resources, including how to have a uh, conversation with your doctor where you advocate for uh, the right screening. It has a lot of uh, talking points where if your doctor gives you resistance, how to respond back. Very useful resource. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And everyone out there listening, thank you for your time and listening to our podcast today, um, especially the importance that this one holds. I encourage you, if you, know, you have listened to this podcast and you know anyone out there with breast, please send this to them. Forward it along. The more women that are aware of this issue, the more lives that can be saved. Um, if you've enjoyed you know, our conversation today, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, as it does help other people who are like, who like you are committed to driving industry change find us. For more content around key issues in the clinical and research industry and beyond, please follow us on social media at MD Group International on Twitter. And you can also find us on LinkedIn by searching MD Group. You can visit our blog at mdgroup.com where we will capture today's episode and, and written word. Um, and you'll also have the um, links to the websites that Sheila has mentioned in the episode um, available for you there as well. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, be well.